0: Hear what they've done to get there and where they want to go now. Settle back. It's time for a bit of inspiration and advice. Come listen to today's Discovered Wordsmith.
1: Welcome to Discovered Wordsmith's number 160. Very high number. I never thought I'd actually get to this high. So I'm doing pretty good, I guess. Uh, and it's been th- thanks to all the great authors that have agreed to come on here and be interviewed. And I hope everybody listening is checking out the authors and the books that interest them. That's the idea, uh, to help spread the word. Uh, But today we have C.S. Devereaux. Uh, She has uh, some interesting things to say about writing and about her book, Fall from Snowbird Mountain. So I hope you'll listen up for that. And as this is going out, it is almost July. I mean, summer's going really fast. Seems like I just did one of these and it was just now starting to be summer, but here it is already a month into summer. Uh, lots of things happening. There have been a lot of author events. I've gotten to meet uh, Jeff Strand. I've gotten to meet face to face Armin Shimmerman, and just this last weekend, Kevin J. Anderson. So I've been having a good personal year uh, going in, or you know, first half of this year, uh, meeting authors, and I'm working with some authors now. Uh, with some support, a mastermind I'm looking at working at getting into, and I'm really pushing to get some more books out. I've got several I've been working on both some nonfiction dealing with this podcast and some fiction. So I hope everybody uh, not only checks out all the books of all the authors I've been interviewing, but goes and checks out all the things I've gotten going. I've got some serial fiction uh, prepared for Halloween and Christmas this year. So uh, I'm excited. It's a fun time and it's been really great doing this podcast. So I, I guess there goes my ramble for the week that uh, I, I enjoyed doing this. I hope everyone's enjoying watching it. And please spread the word, share the book, share the podcast, let others know, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And if you don't like the book, you don't like the author, it doesn't strike you as something you'd want to read, skip it for the week. But every time people subscribe, it helps the algorithms or other people to discover it. So just by subscribing, you're helping all the authors on here. So please, that would help a lot. So uh, here is C.S. Devereaux. Good morning. Welcome to wor- <laughs> Discovered Wordsmith. See, I'm already fumbling. I want to welcome C.S. Devereaux to the podcast. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Stephen. It's good to see you. Great. Thank you for having me on your podcast.
1: Yeah, this is great. I think it'll be fun. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and some of the things you like to do, where you live, and that stuff, other than writing.
2: Okay. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but I did a vast amount of things in between there and here. I've lived in major cities all over the U.S. I've traveled a lot and had varied career paths, but I've always been a creative person, whether I was painting or designing or writing. I began my working life in New York city as a flight attendant for a major airline and did that for about four years and then went to to work for a marketing company in LA and that took me all over the world. And I lived for a few years in Tokyo and Hong Kong while I was with them. And then moved back across the country to Atlanta because I wanted to be closer to home and I had basically learned how to be a designer while I was with them. rather than, I didn't learn a whole lot about marketing, but I learned a lot about designing. And I was, went to college and got a BFA degree in painting. I had the instincts there. And so I used that in Atlanta. And eventually that led me into carpet and rug design, which if you know anything about the area, Atlanta, Dalton, that's that not an unusual place to to go, because in in my designing, one of my most favorite things to do was to design a custom rug for a client. I like, oh, I loved it. I love the textures and the colors and just getting my hands in it. And so nice. it was a natural transition for me there. And so I stayed in the southeast at that point for the most part. but I still traveled a lot. And all along the way, I kept journals. And so I was always writing. I actually began writing when I was about 11 or 12 years old when my mother gave me a diary. And that got me into a lot of trouble. But <laughs> uh, we can talk about that later because <laughs> I started making up stories. And uh, <clears throat> so I kept journals and wrote, and, but I didn't begin writing seriously until after I retired about 10 years ago.
1: Okay, great. So you said you're in marketing for a little bit. I'm going to jump a little bit here. Has, have you found that's helped you market your own books now? You would think so,
2: but I don't know that it has. I'm pretty much a loner. I like, I'm like the introvert's introvert. I don't like being in front of people. It's a lot for me just to do this and talk to you. <laughs> but in, in marketing a book, you do have to get out in front of people and when the marketing you know my experience was before was pre-computer and so i am not particularly technologically savvy much of the marketing you know successful marketing i think is done online and I just don't know how to do it. I try. And I haven't even gotten my author, my Facebook author page set up yet because I looked at it and I got confused. And I said, somebody's going to have to help me with this. I asked my husband. He said, I don't know. And <laughs> my son's too busy. There's just nobody to help. I go to author fairs and that sort of thing. And since I my book just came out a few months ago, so I'm doing book, fit, book the Comic cons, the cons with with the publisher and just anything that comes up, podcasts, because it's easy to talk. And that's as far as I've gotten so far, because the actual marketing only could begin when my book was published. Really, I thought that's when it would begin. And that's only been three or four months.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's talk a little bit about that book, Fall from Snowbird Mountain. Tell us a little bit about it and why you wanted to write this book. Okay.
2: That is an interesting story. The book is, it takes place in Appalachia during the Civil War era, but it's not about the Civil War. It's about a man who lived in what is today Robbinsville, North Carolina. He was the local schoolmaster there. And so he was a good guy and he had a large family to support. But when the school closed after the start of the war, he lost his livelihood. And was having, he just couldn't support his family, and he was desperate for money. A friend offered him an opportunity to end his troubles and invited him to a meeting between him and his partners. And at that meeting, he discovered that the opportunity was counterfeiting. And he had a, a rare, a real. I mean, this is a true story, so this is that that's not the fiction part. I'm telling you the true part of the story, okay. and then I'll tell you, you know, how I got to write this story, he got into the counterfeiting with this group that was the largest counterfeiting ring that's ever, that the United States has ever seen and was with it for about 10 years and became very instrumental in his area. And though he, part of him wanted to quit, I believe, he stayed with it until they caught him and put him in jail. But meanwhile, he became the county sheriff. And after the war, during the war, he disguised himself as a Cherokee Indian to hide from the law because he'd grown up with Cherokees. He spoke the language. He knew the culture. And he did that. That To me, that was just so fascinating that he could do all of that like a chameleon. <laughs> and so the way, and it's a very interesting book, very. People are loving this book, actually. <laughs> nice. Uh, the way I came to write it is when I began writing, I started writing memoirs because I, as much as I don't like getting out in front of people, I really like studying people. I've always been a people watcher. I, I love doing research and just getting into the nitty gritty of things and basically have been A student of people my whole life. I've always been curious about them and what made people do the things that they do. And so memoirs were a good way for me to get started. After I had retired, I was fooling around taking online classes from one of the local universities, University of Tennessee, and but didn't have a direction. And that was one of my problems. I never had a direction. And so a friend asked me one time. You know, if you could do anything, what would you do? If you could write anything, what would you write? And I said, I think I would write memoirs because it just seems like something that's always been fascinating. So I wrote a couple of memoirs and then another friend asked me if I would write about her mother and her family and told me there had been a terrible tragedy and and that no one had ever really written about and she thought it would make a great book but the problem was she couldn't tell me anything about it <laughs> she just okay. said it happened and where it happened but she could she didn't know anything about her family or uh, the details of this terrible tragedy so i was going to have to just dig deep and do it all myself figure it all out so i thought it's a challenge and i like a challenge i started digging into her family's history and as i went back to a couple of generations i discovered her great grandfather and he is the man I've been telling you about. He was so fascinating. I decided that's where my book had to start, that if I could write this book, then I'd be able to write her book, and which is I'm doing now. And nice. so that's how it came about.
1: Okay, great, that's a cool story. I love the research behind it. So can are there any other books that you can think of out there that are similar for people that might be interested in reading yours?
2: Similar, but a stretch, I would say, would be Cold Mountain by Charles Frazier. Okay. And maybe any of Sharon McCrum's ballads, like Ballad of Tom Dooley. Even a greater stretch might be The Known World by Edward P. Jones. But it's historical fiction. It's mostly, it's about... True events, and with embellishments, and and a, a lot of inspiration and imagination, to fill up the holes in between.
1: <laughs> nice, okay. And you mentioned the other book you're working on. Just give us a little, a brief about when that'll be out. A little bit more about it, maybe.
2: I can't really say when it'll be out because okay. I, I'm not quite halfway through it. But it ta- it follows my protagonist in the first book, the mistakes he made follow his family into the next generation. And it takes place in 1922. Okay. I'm not going to tell you anything more about it. Perfect. That's fine. That's fine. So it's a series. Do you have any? Yeah. It's also a mystery. It's a mystery, a murder mystery, and, and a terrible tragedy that relates, just like the first book does, it relates a lot to things that are going on in the world today.
1: Nice. And do you have plans for a third in the series? Are you continue it? No, or this is going to be it. Just this a duology? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah.
2: My friend, is it, she doesn't get more than two books about her family.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Okay. So you said there's been a lot of good feedback from readers and you've been doing live fair. You're having face-to-face communication, talking with these people. What are they saying about the book?
2: Oh, the feedback has been outstanding. I have right now five stars on Amazon and five stars on my publisher, Jumpmaster Press, their website. And people who have read the book, they just say it's a page turner. And fascinating, they love the historical details and the descriptions that bring the characters and the setting to life. They love that it's a true story and that it's about a part of the Civil War that no one really has written about before, and that's counterfeiting.
1: Nice. Okay. So you got that unique angle with some things in it that people like from those types of stories. I love that. So you've got a book out and a second book coming. If someone said, hey, we love this, would you like to see it turned into a movie or a TV show? What would you choose? Oh, my goodness. I think it could be either.
2: Recently. I heard someone make a comparison between the two, and this person had a career as a writer in television. And he said that movies are a director's medium, while TV is a writer's medium. Because while movies have a script, of course, the director actually directs the movie, but in TV, that you have a whole team of writers and they get into a room and they talk everything and they're the ones who are directing the story in the series that you're watching. And I almost think that it might, if this were made into, became a visual entertainment, it might do better as a limited episode series on TV because it would take a lot of money, a lot of money to put this on a big screen with battle scenes and that sort of thing. There aren't many, but... There, there are a lot of characters, and there would just be so much. I think it would be better because of the human quality of it if it was on TV.
1: Nice. Okay. And I love that description of the difference between movies and television. I think that nails it right on the head. It that does. It's a good thing to think about. And that also explains why a lot of times you get those books turned into movies that you're like, eh, not as disappointing. They're more disappointing because you can really sink into a book and imagine a lot of stuff in your head. Whereas the movie, it's a little more flat. You don't get, like you said, the character buildup, like you do in TV now, especially with the way they treat TV now with limited series. And it's not September through May, 24 episodes. It's whenever eight to 10 episodes. Yeah. So totally different than used Yeah, with TV, you can go back and rewatch something. Yes, nowadays, back 40 years ago, that was a totally different story. I think <laughs> it was very different 40 years ago. <laughs> yes, I think that's why most authors have that feeling of, oh, I'd have it turned into a movie. But honestly, it seems like the limited series TV shows are doing much better at making these books come alive. I'm not a big thriller reader, but I watched the Reacher series and I thought it was fantastic and read the book and fell in love with Lee Child's style of writing. So I probably, I didn't do any of that after the two Tom Cruise movies. It was a TV yeah. show that made a yeah. difference. All right. CS, do you have a website that people could go visit and see your book and any future books?
2: Yes. The website is my name. It's csdevereaux.com and Devereaux is D E V E R E A U X.
1: Okay. And we'll make sure and put links to that. Maybe
2: if it may be backwards, but let's
1: see. Can you see it there? Yeah. No, it's fine. Yes, I love that. With the <laughs> I'll put in the show notes also. I'll put a link to the book. For you personally, what are some of your favorite books and authors? Oh, most of the books that I
2: love are by Southern authors, and a lot of them are historical fiction. I would say William Faulkner, Truman Capote, Flannery O'Connor, but also contemporary authors like Ron Rash and Sharon McCrum, Charles Frazier, Daniel Wallace, but I also like spy thrillers. I have always loved spy thrillers. So Jean Le Carré and Graham Greene and Ken Follett, who is both a historical fiction writer and he writes thrillers. The first book of his I ever read was Eye of the Needle, and okay. I loved it, and I saw the movie, and I loved that just as much. And I didn't know at the time that he also wrote historical fiction until I was in an airport somewhere and picked up a book that looked interesting, and he was the author, and it was World Without End, which was the end of a trilogy that he had written, and so. He is actually responsible for me finding my, finally finding a direction that I wanted to be a historical fiction writer. Because nice. when I picked up that book, I was writing memoirs at the time. I had read uh, other things of his without really even remembering when I looked through a list of what he had written, but re- the eye of the needle stood out. And then I went, when I f- finished World Without End, I just said, wow, this is how I want to write. Could I ever do that? Could I? And I said, no, I don't think I can. It's just too good. I, and then I said, you won't know unless you try. So I'm trying to write like Ken Follett. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: Okay. So if anyone that likes Ken Follett, check out your book because you're trying to be similar. So very like
2: different, one. of course.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I actually have a couple Other friends in the Chattanooga area, maybe you'll run into them at some fair or something sometime, but do you have any favorite bookstores that you like to frequent?
2: No, to tell you the truth, Chattanooga doesn't any longer have an awful lot of independent bookstores, because I like independent bookstores the best. During the pandemic, we lost several of them. We now have a store called Winder Binder, and then we have a fairly new one that opened during the pandemic called Book and Cover, and they're both very good. Book and Cover focuses a lot on children's books, but they they carry pretty much everything. They also promote local authors, and Winder Binder, while they don't do so much promoting, they carry local authors' books and they carry both used and new and just a lot of other things too. But another favorite, which is just like the hands-down easy pick, is Barnes & Noble. And they are special because they, as a franchise, the franchise owner also carries local authors and helps to promote right. them. They have a, an open mic night every once a month. And we can get up there and talk and present our books for sale and that sort of thing. You know, that's another way. That's another way to market my books.
1: Yes, nice. I love <laughs> so, that. Yeah, that's, those are the three. Okay, great. I'll put some links in the show notes. I like helping out bookstores and not the authors. So we want to talk a little author stuff. But before we do, if somebody came up to you on the street and said, hey, I heard you wrote a book. Why should I get your book and read it? What would you tell them? because it's
2: good. (laughs) It's a true story about family and human frailties and very relatable situations. And while it's a story of desperation and destruction due to war, it's also a movie about, a book about money and greed and intrigue. So it, it hits a lot of buttons. And so that's what I'd tell them. I'd say, go buy the book.
1: Okay, great. There you go. We were talking about getting to write your book and things you've been learning. So what are a few things you've learned with this first book that you're applying to the second book?
2: Oh, that I'm applying to the second book. What I learned with the first book is not to use <laughs> passive verbs. <laughs>
1: ah, okay.
2: Yeah, that was a big one because it, it was. that's a hard one to learn. That and head hopping, (laughs) but I think it's hard for a lot of people because we talk, we speak in passive voice very often, especially Southerners. And (laughs) so, when if you think in that way, uh, I in using was, let's just start with was, and I have um, a
1: problem with that one too.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and so it it doesn't take very much rethinking to uh, to turn a sentence around and put it in an active. Voice and say I did this happened. Now it's just a different way of thinking. And when you start writing that way, I also find out that my my speech gets better too. <laughs> that I'm a lot more direct. I don't feel so southern anymore. I'm just more <laughs> direct in my speech pattern. But that was a biggie. Uh, the passive verbs and also head hopping. I belong to an excellent writer's group. That's another thing that I learned while I was writing the book, that you cannot write in a vacuum, that you really need feedback from other people about the work that you write. And the best feedback is going to come from other writers. And because they'll be honest with you, your friends will pat you on the back and say, hey, yes, this is great. Unhelpful.
1: helpful.
2: <laughs> yeah but another writer will say this stinks. Right. <laughs> you need a total rewrite here. Let me tell you what you need to do. And that's the beauty of the writers group. They say, let me tell you what, you know, what will help you. And they're not critical in in a negative way. They're always very positive to lift we lift each yeah. other up. And so that's another very important thing I learned is And
1: if you do find a writers group where you feel like they're tearing you down, everybody's just critical, find a different point. writers group because that might not be the right one for you. Uh, And I know there's one writer's group I've been a part of where two of the strongest personalities are both like thriller writers. So when they give feedback on anybody else's stuff, it's always from the thriller writer viewpoint. And that doesn't always fit everything else. Exactly. Uh, Romance and horror. I've heard them give critiques on romance and horror that I'm like, wait a second this is a horror novel. You're trying to turn it into a thriller novel. They're different. They have different buildup and setup. So the advice you're giving them will hurt them in the horror genre. And there's a little bit of clashing going on there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The writers in my group, none of them write horror or science fiction or anything like that. I wish that I had more contact with people like that because not because I want to write that, but it would be really fascinating to see the differences and learn how the different, what the different genres are put
1: together. And also what you said earlier about the passive verbs. I think a lot of writers I had, I I did a check, on my early stuff and like every other sentence I started with an ing word and I'm like, Oh my gosh, this, I can't believe. And I'm like, but what's wrong with that? And then I started learning and changing it and writing more and I'm like, Oh, I see it now. I understand why. So that's always my advice when I see writers who are newer than me, I'm not years of experience. I don't have tons of books out, but I have reached a point where I know I'm the next level or so above somebody that's brand new. So I can help them out a little bit. And the advice I've been giving more often is stop worrying about editing that one story over and 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 over 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 because you're not going to help yourself. You reach a point where you're not changing it enough or learning anything new to make it better. You're much better off stopping and just moving on to another story, writing another book, writing some short stories. You, You don't really... Understand some of the advice or some of the things that make the writing better until you're five, six things written down the road. And then you can look back. But if you're focused on that one piece, yeah, you miss a lot of it. So yeah. that's been my advice lately. And there's a couple of other things too.
2: When you're writing, I think it's helpful to use a good digital writing program. Yes, well, yes I use Pro Writer's Aid. Me too. Yes. And that has helped me a lot. And also with the passive verbs and the Garen's, I wasn't even sure what a Garen was. It was those little ing words. It won't make you a better writer, although they have a new feature, a new AI type feature that will yes. help with sentence structure yes. uh, that I use once in a while. And I never copy it, but it gives me ideas of how to make my sentence better. Because sometimes they will just be this one sentence that just bugs the heck out of you can't quite find the right words to make it work and, and you go in there and they can they give you different choices of how you could move the words around and, and you go oh yeah that's pretty close to what i'm looking for and I right. got it And let's see, uh, oh, there was one other thing. It'll come back to me because it was- I
1: also use ProWritingAid and love it. And I know there's some authors out there taking a big stand against these programs, especially with some of the new AI tools added to it. But I, I, and I'm not going to really get into that argument with them. Hey, that's your choice. Okay, fine. But for me personally, I don't have too much life to spend arguing about these things and debating it. My whole point is- I use it as a tool to make my writing better. I don't throw my manuscript in there, hit fix everything and be done with it. I read it, I evaluate it, I look at everything, I learn from it and my writings improve because it's teaching me. And that's the best way to use it. And the way I feel is if this tool can help me make better writing and make more sales, I'm going to use it. If it's not hurting somebody else, if it's not stepping on somebody else's head to get higher, this is helping me without hurting you. And so I'm going to use it and help make, get get done faster, get done better, have more sales. And the thing, but the thing is, what I've also come to discover is there's separation, I think, between the craft of your writing and the sentences and your story itself. Because people will remember the story itself way longer than any problems in your grammar and spelling and all that. But if you have too many of those problems, it draws them out of the story. So it's a balancing act. And I always try and err on the side of good story as opposed to worrying so much about the grammar in that, because I've read hundreds of books. I cannot tell you good sentences, good chapters and specific grammar in any of those books because I forgot all about it. But I remember the story.
2: When the story is good, you don't notice that. Yes. only a writer like you and me is gonna notice those little right. things like, oh they should you could have used a better word there or that's
1: misspelled <laughs> it can pull you out especially if it's continuous badly worded sentences yeah. so it is good to start that but if you're at, if your writing is where your sentence structure is so bad continuously then you really do need to do some work and learn some things again. Exactly. If you're not going to school, you're not having back using one of these tools, writing a 7,000 word short story and running it through the tool to learn, and then forgetting about it and writing another story is your learning. That's in school. Even if you take a test and you learn a module and you don't do so well, they don't always have time to stop and reteach it to you. I know my kids' school did some of that, but they move on. So it builds on it. And at some point down the line, the earlier stuff usually starts to make sense and click a little more. So sometimes you just have to keep moving to help out the earlier stuff, too. It's true.
2: The other point I was going to make is that writers need to read good quality books. They need to read the work (laughs) of other really good writers.
1: (laughs) Yes. Define good quality, though, because that is very subjective. Yes. And I know a lot of people will say, oh, Stephen King sucks because this and this. But I'm like, but that's true. But here's what he does. So when I read Stephen King, which I love, I've read almost all his stuff. These are the things he does well that I can learn from. Sure, a lot of his endings get horrible. And it's what were you thinking? But the way he draws you into the world and the characters and makes it come alive that's a lesson we, and obviously it works. I don't care all the problems you can tell me about. And Lee Child, which we mentioned, I noticed his writing, he has short sentences, short words, and that's mostly it, almost all the way through the book. And that's total opposite of what some writers try and do. They want these big flowery sentences. No, he just writes and you keep turning the page, totally different style of writing. So it's very subjected to say good writers, something that you enjoy, somebody that has sold a lot of books. That's the court of popular opinion. You could say, this is true. That's that you know what the
2: quality is, and good is defined according to the genre and according to your own personal taste. Yes, but the I, and you just made me think of something else about the sentence links. That's another thing that you have to learn that would works with one genre but maybe not another one is that the pacing the short sentences are what make a a scene move faster yes and if you want to when you want to slow it down then you can go to the longer sentences and relax and meander along for a a paragraph but then speed it back up again as you're approaching the next the next piece of
1: drama or and you learn how to build yes and you just said it again. You learn how to build. To learn how to do that, though, you have to keep writing more and more things. So yeah. straight back to that. And recently I picked up Tolkien's The Hobbit. It's the ah, fourth yeah. or fifth time I've read it, but I'm seeing things totally different than I did the last time I read it, which probably was a good 20 some years ago. His style of writing is as if he was sitting at a campfire, just telling you a story. And that's how it's written. And I never realized that before. And it's so casual in how he does that. Totally different than something like Rothfuss's Name of the Wind, which is a more modern fantasy. So I'm like, wow, I never realized that about Tolkien's writing before is how casual. And it's, Stephen King has a lot of that too. That down home ah shucks feel I like too.
2: yeah, I love that. In fact, I just reread The Hobbit myself over the Christmas holidays. Nice.
1: Yeah. I've read the I read the Lord of the Rings trilogy because the second time in high school because our English teacher, we had to write book reports. And the last on the list was Tolkien's trilogy. And she goes, But you probably don't want to read that because that was my master's thesis in school. So <laughs> I know it well. Okay. Challenge accepted. And you know what? She marked me wrong for something on that report that I pulled out the book and showed her I was right. She refused to even look at it and said, I know what I'm talking about. I was like, are you kidding me? But I've never cared for the trilogy in Return of the King as much as I did like Hobbit and Fellowship. There's just, Return of the King gets, I don't know, too dry and confusing for me. I yeah. So we've been chatting. I've been running on. I apologize if I took (laughs) took too much time there. These are some, we've given some advice for new authors. Is there anything else you would tell new authors listening that are just starting out?
2: Yeah, I gave this a little bit of thought before this podcast. And if I wanted to give some sage advice (laughs) to young authors, what would I say? And the very first thing, and I think it's really important, is to write what you love. They tell you all the time to write what you know. And that's important because, as I said, I like spy thrillers, but I would never t- attempt to write a spy thriller because I don't know that world. I didn't live it. And I think you really have to live it in order to write something like that. But if you write what you love, then your passion is going to show through for what you're doing. And the second thing. We've touched on a lot of different points danced around this during our conversation, and I was writing down my notes and then I came across just by chance this piece of Japanese philosophy called Shu Ra Hi. It means follow, break away, transcend. Follow is means study the basics of good writing, you know, learn the rules. Learn from the masters and the experts, and that's shoot. And then break away. And once you understand the fundamentals of writing, then use your creativity in unique and intuitive ways. That's ha. And then combining your creativity with the traditional skills. And then the last part is transcend, is express your creativity uniquely and using your intuition and just go... Rise above where you ever thought you could go before. Just let yourself go. That's re, And that's shu ha ri. And so, yeah, I thought that was beautiful. And the last thing that I wanted to say was that I think could apply to anyone, whether it's writing of someone who wants to be a writer or who wants to follow any dream. To paraphrase F. Scott Fitzgerald, it's never too late or too soon to be whoever you want to be. You can change or stay the same. It's your choice. But live a life you're proud of. And if you're not, have the courage to start over again.
1: I love that. I'm not a big Fitzgerald fan, but that's probably one of the best quotes I've ever heard from him. I love that. CS, it's been really fun talking to you. I enjoyed myself this morning. It's still morning here. Uh, So I wish you luck on Songbird and uh, your next book. Maybe we'll uh, touch base again once it comes out. Snowbird, sorry. (laughs) Everyone's going to be looking for this songbird book by you. No, it's a right
2: songbird. Yeah, sorry about that. All right. So I wish you luck on that. For that, I'm going to write a book and title it Songbird.
1: Please do. that Instead of me fixing what I said, now you have to write a book so that you know it works out. Maybe some alternative universe. It's all good. Yeah. Great. All right. You have a great day.
2: Thank you, Stephen. It's been a pleasure.
1: Hi, if you enjoyed this episode of Discovered Wordsmiths, please support the author. Go to their website, go to Amazon, look them up, get the book. And if you click on the link that I have in the show notes, you'll also help support the podcast so I can keep the hosting and all the software I use and uh, keep it running for to help more authors. When I am recording this, we've got over 100 episodes, lots of authors. Go to the website, discoveredwordsmiths.com Check it out. There's a lot of great authors, probably in some genre that you love. See what they have. Check out their books. That's what the point of the podcast is for, so people can discover new authors, find some new books they love, support the authors so they can continue writing. So please support them. And if you do like the podcast, if you've been thinking of podcasting or you're a writer, I've got some links also at the website. Click on those if you're interested in any of the software or services that I talk about. Everything that I have there is something I use, so I've got an affiliate link. Again, it's a little bit, if everyone clicked on those, if they were going to get it anyway, it helps keep the podcast going. So let's all help each other out. Discover more authors to read.
0: Thank you for listening to Discovered Wordsmiths. Come back next week and listen to another author discuss the road they've traveled and maybe, sometime in the near future, it might be you.